Welcome to The Dish, a podcast where your hosts don't know too much about movies or the culinary arts, but are going to review nostalgic and awesome 90s films about their greatness and shortcomings, and then compare that feeling of watching the movie to some great foods. I'm Mitch. I am the other host that doesn't know too much about movies or the culinary arts, Zach. And hi, I'm Michael. They're holding me at gunpoint to be in their podcast. Please send help. That's not true, Michael. We're not even in the same room. We are not, no. We're not even in the same city. Well, if oh, you, yeah, that's you right. could be pointing a big enough gun at me, you know, from over there. <laughs> we have artillery uh, targeting your position right now, Michael, if you don't <laughs> yep. record this podcast with us. I am under duress. Please send, uh, I guess, airstrikes if they've got artillery. <laughs> Well, thank you for coming to record with us, Michael. Michael is my brother-in-law. He is the elder sibling of my wife, Katie. Welcome. Thanks for having me, y'all. I'm super stoked to be here. Are y'all enjoying your Sunday? So far, so good. Got off work, busily assembled a podcasting setup, and here I am. Excellent. (laughs) Thank you for going to Best Buy on our behalf to pick up a microphone. You're welcome. And Best Buy, I promise I won't just return this microphone after we're done. (laughs) (laughs) let's still leave that on the air best buy corporate leadership will be coming after your ass after this no doubt not 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 if i actually make good on not doing it (laughs) (laughs) mine's been pretty good i watched this movie which uh to obfuscate my review i would say didn't ruin my day (laughs) (laughs) perhaps enhanced it but yeah pretty chill sunday how about yours mitch it was good man I went on a walk today, and I saw a man leaf-blowing his yard with two leaf blowers. He was dual-wielding them. What? Yeah, I kid you not. This dude had two electric leaf blowers hooked up with an extension cord, and he was just, like, mini-gunning his yard. Oh, my God. (laughs) Did it seem more efficient than single-wielding a leaf blower? I think in this case, yes, because he had the kind of dinky electric leaf blowers that you see in your parents' garage that you plug in. Two is better than one, I'd say. Oh, man. Believe it or not, I've actually seen that before. Really? Uh, yeah. Oh, man. On, I thought uh, this guy was like a leaf-blowing master. Well, I, I, I've seen it before in like somewhat of a industrial setting. It's on my college's campus, NC State, where we went to school. They usually dispatch armies of leaf-blower men in fall time. Leaf blower men and women. <laughs> and I've seen a number of them dual-wielding them. But, but for personal use, I've never seen anything like it. Don't they have like the the backpack, like steel, super nice leaf blowers when they do college campuses and shit? Did they have like a backpack on their front and a backpack on their back? You know, like you used to do in middle school? <laughs> you know, I don't know. Maybe the backpack just had like dual exhaust. It was feeding <laughs> two leaf blowers. Nice. But yeah, they, I think they do have a little Ghostbuster pack. If only we could be so efficient in other aspects of our lives. We could find another movie to review at the same time. Um. <laughs> let's see we can knock out, out like just all the matt lillard films at the same time matt lillard loses his shit film continues around this remind me who matt lillard is shaggy <laughs> the shaggy guy shaggy okay yeah yeah the mysterious movie we're watching is one of michael's favorites yeah today we're doing hackers it's a 1995 film starring angelina jolie her breakout role i believe you said michael uh, yeah, that's right. Before this, she's in basically a couple of music videos and stuff. Her claim to fame before this would have been uh, 
Rock and Roll Dreams Come Through by Meatloaf. She's in the uh, music video for that. <laughs> wow. Well, everyone knows that. Oh, yeah. Oh, well-known <laughs> fact. <laughs> I'm hoping I detect sarcasm because <laughs> I had no clue. Oh, no. I, I IMDb'd the heck out of that. Oh, okay. But, uh, yeah, this is her first major uh, film, though, that kind of started the rest of them. I think it's the same for most of the other main cast as well. A couple movie or show credits before, but nothing major. Or we could do like this and Johnny Mnemonic at the same time, which I've also not seen. It's also not how computers work, but is similarly entertaining. <laughs> Are there any? Is there any cast overlap, or is just like similar similar idea, like a hacking type movie where it's just well, a bunch of fooey? The thing is, is like a lot of people in Hackers weren't necessarily in other stuff. On other stuff, uh, it was also the director Ian Softley's second film ever. A, a few different people got their starts here, and not everybody uh, had a huge film career afterwards. I feel like I, I recognize a lot of the faces, too, but the Secret Service agent, he's had a rich career of being, like, the kind of uh, snobby, buttoned-up, play-by-the-rules, like, lead investigator. He was in The Wire. Yeah, he's in my all of my notes as Agent Bunk, because uh, <laughs> I have watched The Wire enough times that I'm not going to be able to remember what his name is in other stuff. <laughs> Sorry, not sorry. Um, The sooner we get to talking about the movie, the sooner we get to talk about the pool. (laughs) There's a pool on the roof, I hear, yeah. I had such a great segue, Michael, when you mentioned earlier about something with computers not working that way. That could be any scene in this film. (laughs) It really could. It's very true. It's one half of the drinking game. You drink every time computers don't work that way. You drink every time something is just super duper 90s. Wow. Do you ever stop drinking? Not really, no. Particularly not if you count Jolt Cola as super duper 90s. Because that shit's everywhere once you start paying attention. Jolt Cola? I thought there was Coca-Cola. I saw Coke in the movie, but I I remember they mentioned Jolt on the TV. Yeah, it's also, you can see cans of Jolt in a good number of scenes as well. Was Jolt Cola just a 90s failed cola that they tried to market in this movie, or does it just exist in the world of hackers? No, no, it's a real thing. Uh, It's claimed to fame as having like three times the caffeine of Coke. You can still get it some places. (laughs) Oh, Uh, wow. Sort of like little specialty stops and stuff. Um, And it's about as good as a soda whose chief uh, selling point is three times the caffeine of Coke would make you think it is. (laughs) Get on your computers. Let's hack into the mainframe as we discuss hackers too corny it's extra corny no it's great but my computer's just showing me a whole bunch of like formulas floating on the screen i don't know how to understand that that means it's working right (laughs) yeah the theme throughout in this movie takes place in 1988 to start off uh someone's getting swatted they got way too mean on call of duty and so someone called the swat team on their house yeah, someone, like some kid, called someone else's mom a bad word, and uh, he actually got swatted. Yeah. But it turns out it's like a, uh, it's as you expect, it's like a 10-year-old. And this court scene was, I, I had to rewind it to make sure I didn't miss something. The charges they're levying on him, you would think would warrant a jury trial, but you just hear like the prosecuting attorney basically make her closing arguments and like levy these charges. His computer virus crashed 1,507 systems, including Wall Street trading systems, single-handedly causing a seven-point drop in the New York stock market. And the judge is like, I've heard all I need to hear. 
you're fined $45,000 and you can't use a phone or computer for years. Right. <laughs> it's like, where's the justice in this? <laughs> yeah, it, it starts out ridiculous. and It doesn't really get any less throughout. And this poor kid is getting, well, I say poor kid. This poor kid that they've stuffed into a corduroy suit, I would point out. <laughs> they already <laughs> did him dirty at the start of this trial. <laughs> That's worse than an orange jumpsuit. I'm trying to think which I would pick if I had to pick one or the other to stay in my in for the rest of my life. And it's kind of a tough call. I would definitely go with the cord suit. You don't want to look like an inmate forever? Well, <laughs> right. part of the choice also concerns me with the uh, situation of ending up in an orange jumpsuit. I can think of maybe some less problematic reasons to be in a corduroy I don't know. I can't think of a good reason to be in a corduroy suit either. So, uh, point retracted. <laughs> I'm positive that i had a corduroy suit as a kid <laughs> i actually have a corduroy jacket right now that i still rock from time to time i think i've seen you in that jacket actually have you really yeah oh, nice. pretty sure so yeah this kid well they find his parents forty five thousand dollars which is hold on i'm actually curious this is the 1980s college costs a nickel and you could buy a house for two of those Okay, so in 1988, $45,000 is roughly $105,000 today. Wow, more than I thought. Yeah, more than I would have thought, too. So that's a pretty good amount that they're charging for his plan around on the computer. Yeah, so basically it sets up that who we think will be the hero, I guess, maybe tragic hero at this point. His name is Dade Murphy, and his hacker name, <laughs> which exists actually in real life, I think, is Zero Cool. And so he's just kind of like, you know, coding, hacking prodigy who can whiz past defense systems set up by people three times his age. Yeah, we flash forward, I guess, about nine years or so, maybe less. He's a senior in high school and he's on a plane to New York. He looks like 23, let's be real. He's still living at home with his mom, which I guess makes sense he's a senior in high school. But something tells me that wouldn't change if he was actually early 20s. Nah, probably not. I do want to mention how cool this uh, like opening shot of New York is, because it turns to circuit oh, boards too. halfway yeah. through, and uh, is not the first of the times uh, I got sort of a Tron vibe from this. That and the, the music throughout the movie, starting here, really. Like, the, the, the song that went to him looking out the plane window, looking down on the skyscrapers that turned into like the kind of architecture of a motherboard or whatever that Michael mentioned. Mm -hmm. The song that was playing and then kind of like the transition was like it was really cool. It was really well done. So the like the the next like immediately essentially after this kind of intro exposition of the 10 year old prodigy hacker and then the nice kind of transitional scene that introduces the actual is the title screen and with the where he's flying and everything. The next scene is him hacking into a TV station <laughs> as a high schooler who looks like he's 23. With some sunglasses on in his dark room. Yeah, very Matrix with the uh, outfits right there. Definitely. I feel like they got some inspiration in the Matrix from this movie. Yeah, well, this is actually a kind of fun scene because uh, this is probably inspired by a real incident where somebody actually did hack a TV station back in the uh, late 80s. No so way. Yeah, no, seriously. It was the Max Headroom incident. Somebody right. uh, yeah. Yeah, dressed up like the British uh, quote-unquote AI TV personality Max Headroom and took over a TV station for like 10 minutes. He was wearing a creepy mask, wasn't he? Yep. Wow. Yeah, it's kind of odd. I remember, I've, I've seen that before. 
Well, he he manages to hack the system and get them to put on something than like racist rhetoric by controlling the automatic VCR system that I guess played the, you know, the scheduled TV programs at the time. And he's like leaning back and enjoying his feet. And then some like Microsoft Word 95 text shows up really big on his on his hacker screen. And it's another hacker. Uh? And they ask who he is fucking around like on their turf. And he's like, I'm I'm a zero. Oh, never mind. I'm crash override. They're like, well, this is acid burn and you better, you know, step the fuck off. And they have like a little hacking battle with the VR machine where he ultimately gets like shut out. This for me was kind of like the scene in um, Time Cop where Jean-Claude Van Damme does the split kick in that guy's face. (laughs) And you're like, oh, it's that kind of movie. Yeah, yeah. I kind of had a sense going in, but once the scene started where all these like ridiculous graphics on the computer as they're doing these like coding or whatever, I was like, okay, this is this is what I'm in for. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the tone setting scene. Very much so. The tone has been set. It is word art. <laughs> I should point out there's about three cans of jolt on that desk the entire scene. <laughs> I can't hack without jolt. You mentioned, Mitch, that what was originally playing on the TV station was some racist rhetoric talk show or whatever. Did you get the impression that like acid burn was like, that was what they put on? In the first instant I did, at first I was like, oh, the admin of this system is also a hacker and, you know, they need their racist bullshit to be on. But for, for whatever reason, I like shrugged off that theory quickly and thought, oh, you know what? It's just somebody who's like, I hack this place. You don't hack this place. Yeah, it's probably more accurate. You know, for a hacker, he types really <laughs> he types really slowly. Well, I mean, speed typing isn't necessarily a required trait of a hacker. In fact, the most some of the most accurate hacking that happens in this movie is him calling the TV station and trusting that he's going to get an idiot on the other line who will just start reading numbers <laughs> off the modem. Yeah, yeah. Like, That's very true. That that did read as the most true to reality pretty brazen but cool tactic it's that and there's a scene a little bit later where they're digging through a dumpster for uh poorly shredded documents also useful hacking tip sometimes you got to go dumpster diving (laughs) he gets in trouble with his mom for hooking his computer up to the phone again before heading off to school the next day yeah he's still a little bit of a rapscallion but at this new hip New York school in his fir- very first class he meets An- who turns out to be Annalene Jolie who is playing a very busty Romulan tell me major where did you train the intelligence academy or the imperial war college oh. <laughs> and he quickly has also a fever dream over her lips yeah, it's like in the beginning of the movie, they're like, okay, this kid is a nerd. He's a virgin. He fantasizes. I was thinking, is he a psychopath? Because every time he sees Angelina Jolie for the first like 30 minutes, we get flashes of images from like old movies, sometimes violent ones. And I thought that was strange. I, I didn't like pick up on the continuity there. But when someone asked, what are you after her for? He said, oh, I'm homicidal. <laughs> <laughs> he did. Can I, I just wanted to mention, too, that he rollerblades to school, which is important because there's a lot of rollerblading in this movie. And maybe that's one of the reasons rollerblading was so big in the 90s, or maybe it already was, but they really lean into it. We skate for fun. We're soul skaters. Yeah, if nothing else, this movie teaches us that to be a good hacker in the 90s, you have to also be a good rollerblader. Or skateboarder. But only if you're evil do you skateboard. 
Yeah. Now I'll point out everybody has weird uh, dreams and stuff in this. Dade is not the only one that gets a weird dream sequence during this film. Far yeah, from it. Three or four people aside from him also do. Yeah. Including Angelina Jolie at some point, but she's one of the first people that he runs into and asks for his like transfer papers with the new school and tells him about the pool on the roof. Yeah, and he uh, he gets up there and <laughs> there's a whole gaggle of people. A gaggle of like real nerds. <laughs> As, yeah, as, as far away from the door as can be in the roof for whatever reason. And he goes out and they're like, no, wait. And so the door locks behind him. You would think for a whole bunch of nerds that got duped under the roof, they would be smart enough to wait by the door. Yeah, well, when he walks in, they're leaning over the edge of the roof, like shouting. But yeah, you'd think that a bunch of nerds would think to have one guy stand by the door. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, so it starts raining and he gets soaking wet. So his first day of high school is uh, not starting off strong for him. This movie makes me want to be in high school in the 90s in New York. It was just like such a different scene than I could imagine. Well, this movie influenced my high school back in the, you know, 2000s. Because uh, we also, freshman year, had a joke about a pool on the roof. Even had a few people sell pool passes for it. And I have no <laughs> way to assume it's based on anything other than this film. So... A bunch of people in, you know, 2004 were selling pool passes to the roof pool based on a 90s nerd movie from nearly a decade ago. God, you know, it's funny you say that because I actually remember that happening at my school, too, and I, I never knew what it was about. I was like, well, there's obviously not a, a pool on the roof, but I've never seen hackers, so I didn't get that it was a way to get people to go up onto the roof and, you know, get locked out or whatever. That happened in my school, too, and it's beginning to make me think that a pool in the roof is just like a running gag at any like teenage spot. <laughs> Super possible. Well, because he gets locked on the roof, he and all these other nerds get stuck in a thunderstorm and he's then walking through school, like soaking wet, you know, glaring at Angelina Jolie, whose name is Kate. We should probably mention. And she's like, Oh my God, he found the pool. But he's going to get back at her since he's a hacksaw. He can, you know, put himself in her English class. And so he does. There was a dude in the beginning, the confused leopard print kid. A uh, freak. Yeah, freak. He's one of the other, like, posse of hackers that Dade ends up meeting up with. But he sees Dade doing this hacking in his computer class, I guess. And it's like, oh, dude, I know that you, you talk the talk and you walk the walk. Like, you're one of us. One of us many high school top-level hackers. <laughs> Why don't you come to this hacker party we're having on Friday? This, uh, the setting for the high school, I don't remember the name of the high school, but I read that it was one of the most prestigious high schools in New York. And huh. a lot of the extras were actual like high school kids that just happened to go there that just they kind of dragged into this. Nice. So I could maybe believe that like top brass in New York maybe are actually decent enough to be pretty decent hackers. I also feel we would be doing listeners a disservice if we don't mention the fact that this scene starts with Freak watching two animated skeletons appearing to get it on on his screen. It definitely <laughs> does, Michael. Yes. That sort of sets the tone for the character. Freak's whole vibe is just great. He's always wearing the greatest outfit I've ever seen. Yeah. He wears like multiple big cat print pieces of clothing at the same time. It's glorious. His outfits just get better as this movie continues. <laughs> yeah. So the way that Dade gets back at Kate is Dade happens upon the uh, like the kind of 
high school hangout spot, which is like this ultra 90s arcade. What like, a cool spot. Oh, man. It's like a techno arcade bar. There's a rollerblading track that goes around the whole place. There was so much going on here. It, it's like... I didn't write down everything that happened. There's so much 90s stuff in this movie that it's hard to keep track of what was where. Yeah, it was like sensory overload to see all this happening on the screen. I was fully immersed in the 90s in this sequence. Oh, I was saying, they've got their little like VRF0 that looks like it's on the N64. Yeah. Uh, but Dade tops Kate's high score at some arcade game. It's a big deal. Apparently, it's a big deal to her. Yeah, she doesn't take lightly to that. So they're now kind of like hacker rifles. Yeah. She goes and, like, you know, taunt makes out with her boyfriend after she gets beaten by Dade at this game. They roll off. But that night, Dade goes home and he hacks the system again, this time of his school, to put on a sprinkler systems test for the next day so that he can get Kate back for putting him on the roof. It gets the whole school wet just to get him wet. (laughs) (laughs) Just to get him wet. It gets the whole school wet to get him wet. This is another hacking scene that actually seemed... Like, plausible. This felt maybe real. Like, you could actually do this. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, I feel like this is a movie that will betray... I don't know that I can speak for you, Michael, but it'll probably betray, Mitch, your and my lack of computer knowledge. (laughs) At least, like, nuanced computer knowledge. But I feel like this is on the scale of something an individual could do in the 90s. Uh, Well, maybe at the most prestigious uh, high school in New York, it would have a computerized fire suppression system, but I don't know. I think most of them, probably not. But in this case, in New York City, where tech is common and there's a lot of money, I'll give it the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Well, I mean, like as far as like infrastructure that we see on his computer when it's going, you don't see like 3D computer architecture and him like flying through it. It's It's actually feasible. Logistically, it looks normal. But they don't stick with that, do they, Zach? No, definitely not. (laughs) They don't at all. I don't recall what exactly happened here, but I have in my notes, Matthew Lillard as serial killer is amazing. (laughs) And I just want to go ahead and lay it down here. I'll probably be gushing throughout the movie, but God, he was just like so much fun to be watching this whole movie. Oh yeah, he improves every scene that he's in. And you can really tell that this movie came out one year before Scream did. Uh, Because he is definitely ramping up the crazy with this performance. Yeah, the the first scene we really get to look at him, they're all writing quotes up on the board for some class for some reason. And his chosen quote is from Ozzy Osbourne, of all people. Um, So that sort of sets the tone for the character long before the dead Kennedys shirt starts showing up. He plays this, like, kind of a blend of hippie, but also, like kind of grunge-ish Hippie guy. metro grunge. Yeah. And so he, he's got like long hair, but it's braided in four braids. So it's kind of like he's got four quadrants of braid on his head. And, <laughs> but the way he speaks is very hippie sounding. It's like, whoa, this isn't woodshop class? He sounds just like Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. Almost exactly like Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. Yeah, the man does not lack for camp. So back at the techno bar, we've got the whole gang together now. We have the leopard print kid whose hacker name is Freak. We have uh, a newbie is introduced here who's like this very innocent looking, like kind of dough-faced kid. He can't be more than like 14, but he's smoking. It sounds like he's kind of the squid of the group. And then we have uh, 
serial killer, Shaggy's character. Emmanuel Goldstein. I think everyone calls him just serial killer. Yeah. And now Dade, he's one of the cool ones now. And they're like, they're talking about how hacking works and hacker stories and their dreams and goals. Like what would they like to do? What they wish they could get into? Their aspirations. Yeah, you want a seriously righteous hack. You score one of those Gibsons, man. You know, supercomputers they use to, like, do physics and look for oil and stuff? Ain't no way, man. Security's too tight. The big iron. Just to, you know, give you the setup for what is to come. They do kind of shit on the younger kid, the the squid kid. What is his name, even? I think Joey is the character's Uh, name. Joey. Joey. Joey, who doesn't have a hacker name, that's how that's how not hacker this kid is, I guess. Even though he hacked a bank in like Idaho or something and made it spit out money in the street, which his friends say, hey, that's a really bad idea. You get yourself arrested. And then that night he goes home and decides to prove himself to his friends. He's going to hack a Gibson system. And it, like his ideas for hacker names are not terribly inspired either. I remember one of the first ones he throws out is Dr. Doom. <laughs> Which, uh, you know, could have got this movie included in the MCU if they went a different way. However, sometimes expediency outweighs originality. <laughs> yeah, that would have been great. I want to see the hackers make themselves into superheroes with floating formulas. When Joey starts hacking into the Gibson, that's when the, the hacker visuals start to go off the rails for me. Not that it was bad, it's just like it gets over the top. Joey starts hacking into the Gibson, and we get some shots from the other side we get shots from the people that are like maintaining the gibson so there's this guy who happens to be Penn from penn and teller penn gillette yeah he's like the security guy for the gibson yeah hal because they weren't subtle with that yeah. <laughs> in front of hal which is the i guess the yeah it's the uh, computer from 2001 yeah so there's like this huge screen in front of him that just shows him like physical representations of all like the uh, systems of, of the Gibson, I guess. But that the whole room he's in feels like some weird laser tag area. Yeah. It's just like black, but it's like neon lights and there's actual like mini skyscrapers that I guess are supposed to be servers. It yeah. just looks like a laser tag home base. It's like a CG virtual city, but it's more cheesy than like even the worst of the Matrix interpretation of how like systems of code work. I have a theory for this. I think what they did is they went into New York City, like on the streets, and they asked, how do you think the inside of a computer looks? And they took that answer from, let's say, five or six different people, and they combined them all into what we get in this movie. I actually have somewhat of an answer for you. Oh, nice. I heard the director... I saw a video where he mentioned that the inspiration for like the physical representation came from... 2001. I mean, it is a pretty visually striking movie, but I don't know that it, (laughs) like, I think he probably understood that, like, its physical relevance was kind of non-existent, but it just looked cool, I guess. Well, I don't think there is any question about it. It can only be attributable to human error. Yeah, well, and immersive. Joey gets in because he successfully used one of, in the previous scene they were talking about the most useful uh, passwords that everybody uses. And they're like, weird stuff is like love, sex, or God. And it turns out somebody at this Gibson company has used God as their password. Overlooking such wonderful options as guest, password, or admin, you know. The real three (laughs) horsemen of terrible passwords. (laughs) Yes, in a world where no one uses numbers or case sensitivity for their passwords. Or three-letter passwords. It's just, that's mind-boggling. 
But this is when we also get introduced to our real villain in a second, Mr. The Plague. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love this guy. So, yeah, we're, we're at the, the Gibson building, which is like some big corporate office. Pin, I guess, he calls up The Plague. Mr. Belford? My name is The Plague. Uh, Mr. The Plague, uh, something, something weird's happened on the net. As in what, you hapless techno-weenie? So he skateboards down to IT, literally, and they zoom in on these virtual cyber buildings and we see that little Joey is trying to copy a file, you know, so he has something to bring back to his friends. And they see this and they start a trace on him. Joey's mom comes in because it's like, you know, one in the morning. It's late. You should go to bed. And she just like walks over and unplugs his computer. But it's too late. He's already been in there. He's got like a partial file off of, a, off of this and put it on a floppy disk, which he then hides in his AC ducts. Yeah, Joey was just, I think, doing this for clout, as they say. Not in the 90s, necessarily. (laughs) He was trying to get some kind of proof that he was there. And so he downloaded some file from a location literally named Garbage. So he's just like, here's some like junk that'll prove that I actually hacked into the Gibson. Yeah, and all his other hacker friends will absolutely know where that particular garbage file came from. It's an impressive garbage (laughs) file for some reason. This garbage file only could have come from one place. The Gibson system. Look at the encryption on these garbage files. <laughs> this is some nice garbage. Where'd you get this garbage? Oh, this garbage? It could have only come from a Gibson system. You can tell from the way it is. <laughs> the the nerd squad, are, I, what, I don't even know what you guys want to call the this group of, of friends, these hackers. I mean, it's in the title. They're just, they're hackers. These hackers, they go to another hacker's house who enters the door in a in a cloak with the hood down, which I love so much this scene because it for a second they're like, is this some like secret society that's going on here? Nikon! Lord Nikon, this is Crash Override. Never heard of you. Is there anything? No. Come on! So he slams the door on them because of uh, Dade being a new guy. And it turns out he's just like a good friend of them. And they're all just super nerdy. And I, I love that, their, their camaraderie so much. Yeah, well, his apartment is like just covered with graffiti. And it says Hackstock across the door. So it has the vibe of like like a hidden Brooklyn bar, but like a hidden Brooklyn hacker den. Yeah. But it's another guy that his hacker name is Nikon, Mr. Nikon. Lord Nikon. Like Lord, Lord Nikon. Lord Nikon. They like all sit down around the couch and they turn on the TV and they watch the hacker show with Razor and Blade. Welcome to our show. Hack the planet. Hack, Hack the, the planet. planet. Who are these two like Metro dudes who put on a show about like the latest in hacking, I guess, that only hackers watch. Because there's a secret society of them in graffitied apartments. Well, apparently a very big secret society, as we will later learn. Indeed. Meanwhile, Joey is getting busted and taken in for questioning for hacking Napster, for hacking the Gibson. <laughs> yep, and this is our uh, first real uh, good introduction to, uh, I think his name in the movie was Gil. Uh, again, just Agent Bunk, probably, for the rest of the times I mentioned this character. Yeah, Agent Bunk busts him and we kind of get the story that he's the guy who's who's taking down hackers around the city despite the fact that he will later appear to have basically no defense against getting hacked himself 
<laughs> You'd figure the, the FBI would have their own Mr. The Plague to do this, but no, it's, it's Agent Punk. Just him, only him, making a name for himself, being on TV. After this happens, we're back at the big corporation where the plague works, where he, as the IT guy, I guess, gets to sit in on the meetings with the CEO. And he's putting on a show and telling the higher-ups all about how there was a hacker that planted a virus that has capsized one of their ships. I guess this corporation is a big... Is it an oil company? Like, what's their deal? It's either an oil company or a shipping company, but they definitely have some oil tankers that theoretically these hackers are threatening, according to Mr. The Plague. The little boat flipped over. A virus planted within the Gibson computer system claimed responsibility. Yeah, Mr. The Plague has sizing up the threat for them and saying, like, they took over this ship, they messed up the ballast tanks, made it capsize, and they're going to capsize five more of them if we don't transfer $5 million per ship to them. Something immediately stuck out to me here, and it was the amount of money that was asked for. I don't know if you're in <laughs> agreement with me here, but... It was a laughably small amount of money for something that would disrupt much more than $5 million worth of commerce. And all, all I could think of was Austin Powers. One million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. One hundred billion dollars. <laughs> Gentlemen, silence. They're very worried about it, I guess, because they're greedy ass corpos and it's a big deal so after this meeting when he's like pulled up the virus on the big screen to show everybody because it has the graphics and a face that talks unless five million dollars are transferred to the following numbered account in seven days i would capsize five tankers in the annex of fleet <laughs> I thought it was funny that the actor who plays the guy that is like the Vitruvian man, because it's called the Da Vinci virus, right? It's just like a purple and blue dude that's all like computerized who speaks. He's credited for being the virus. And I just thought that was really funny. <laughs> like That was huh. your part. Yeah. Oh, you're in film? Yeah, I, uh, I played the graphic of the virus in the movie Hackers. I guess if, if you're that guy, you've got a real face for radio, huh? <laughs> Now, what with all those, uh, you know, high fancy graphics on all computer viruses, because that's definitely how they work. Though it'll make yep. more sense than when we get to see how great a laptop is from a strange flashing LSD GIF. <laughs> that's how we know a laptop is good. It can accurately render a strange flashing LSD GIF. <laughs> if it can give you epilepsy, it's worth your money. Look at that frame rate. I, I could have a seizure from this. But it turns out, Mr. The Plague, when they leave the meeting, he's just talking to his, I guess, secretary. She is the head of public relations for the company. Makes more sense. Mr. Plague is talking to the company's head of public relations. And he reveals that the Da Vinci Man virus is a ploy, essentially just to get the government's attention to catch the hackers. This seems a little bit tautological to me because it's like, well, if... If he just wanted to catch the hackers, like why go through all the effort to create this 
ploy just to get the government up on their feet and motivated. Did he explain the subplot here? Well, he, I think he explains at least because it's because the data file. I don't know that he explains what the garbage file is just yet. But he's like, you know, they got our garbage file. And I don't think they tell us what the garbage file does just yet. It's apparently something bad and something secret. He wants his garbage file back. It's primo garbage. He creates a virus to get the government to help them get it back. Yeah. yeah. There's got to be some sort of dangerous leverage. The Secret Service, they're going to keep an eye on Joey until they find their missing file. Through doing that, they find that Dade is a past offender. His house gets swatted next. Uh, with a lot of really aggressive gun pointing with poor trigger discipline, which bothered me a little bit. <laughs> like, this is a government agency, and they're just, like, rushing into someone's house and just holding a gun to their head with their finger on the trigger. I get it. They're a hacker, but, like, they're not a violent offender. They never were. Like, even after that, they then, you know, stuff him in a room and let this guy who's not even an FBI agent talk to him alone. Right. And they don't even, like, bust in whenever he starts breaking things in his room. Yeah, and uh, Agent Bunk has only just met Mr. The Plague in a uh, scene just a second ago where he walks in on him playing uh, VR, where if you pay attention, it appears that the actor playing Mr. The Plague loses one of the uh, VR handsets during the emphatic <laughs> VR gestures he is pretending to do. And they just, the camera never shows where it ended up. I think Mr. The Plague is really just a plague on good facial hair. I feel like Mr. The Plague is a, a low rent form of Vincent from Pulp Fiction. I will say he improves basically every scene he's in because, uh, this is one of the few instances where I can clearly point out someone who is acting 100%. Not necessarily sure that everything was necessarily what the movie called for, but in every scene, he is giving 100% of whatever exactly it is he thinks he's doing. Be it angrily skateboarding <laughs> through an office glaring at his own employees, to smashing some kid's boombox. <laughs> it's true. This is not a film filled with powerhouse acting, for sure. But he's a very entertaining character. Yeah, Fisher Stevens was definitely acting as hard as he could at all times. Remind me a bit <laughs> of, like, Nick Cage that way. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. That's high praise! Yeah, so Mr. The Plague threatens Dade, like, give us the disc, etc., etc., or find it for us, ally with me, because... We're hackers. We don't have any allegiances, whatever. He tries like buddy-buddy. He's very all over the place with his threat. Data essentially says, you know, fuck off. And so he does. For now. For now. Because they don't have anything on Dade at this point. I guess they can just raid places as they wish because they're the FBI. Are they the FBI? I only ever heard Secret Service. I guess maybe they're the Secret Service. Does the Secret Service even do that? I didn't think so. I thought the Secret Service was like the force that protects the president. You think they stopped counterfeiting as well, but this is neither of those. The Wikipedia article for him said they do criminal investigations, but it wasn't clear. Like crimes against the financial infrastructure of the U.S. Oh, well, I guess this plot would count as a crime against a financial institution. I guess that tracks... Yeah, this leads into another one of the strange, abrupt dreams in this film. <laughs> yeah, it does, because immediately after Mr. The Plague leaves, Dade is laying in his bed, and then Kate comes in with like her top open and gets all up on him. 
very shortly, like within two or three seconds, followed by a, a Secret Service agent who like rips her off of him and then arrests him. I almost, I actually Wait. thought for a second that it was actually happening, happening that it wasn't a dream. I did too. <laughs> this movie arguably is is like one one huge fever dream, <laughs> and that was a dream within a dream. Dad, you gotta stop Mackie and bring us back to reality. Butterflies have no concern for such things, Dad. I'm gonna go find me some butterfly poon. It was. When will we wake up, Zach? Dade is only 11 years old. He hasn't even turned 18 yet. He's just dreaming <laughs> about his adult life. He's sitting in the cell before he like goes to court the first time he got raided. And this is what he comes up with. Oh, man. How angry would people be if that was like the last scene in the movie? <laughs> Young Dade wakes up and then goes into his court <laughs> hearing. <laughs> yeah. The Techno Squad, they go to a party at Kate's house. It's a pretty rad party. Lord Nikon's in there DJing reciting people's uh, personal information, specifically attractive <laughs> women. Yeah, that did not age super duper well. No, it, no, it did not. <laughs> but uh, this is also where we establish that uh, presumably he gets his name from the fact that he has a photographic memory. Just got that. <laughs> they, they make their way back into Kate's room, I guess, to see how good her laptop is. I can't remember why they were there, but they were like on her computer. Wall-to-wall people... Like shoulder to shoulder, sexy dancing, and then suddenly they're in an empty room creaming over a laptop. And then just as suddenly as they were in there looking at the laptop, Kate and her boyfriend are just like a, seem to appear in the bed and start making out. And none of the hackers know what to do. They're all just kind of frozen <laughs> as this is going on. They're like, Shit, do we do we do we say anything? I think everyone watch? except for Dade was ready to watch. And then Dade like <laughs> Dade clears his throat to you know announce that they are in her room. Yeah, well, and they don't come from the doorway either. She just kind of hurls them on the bed from the left side of the screen with the doorway to the room still, like, clearly in view. <laughs> so they've been, like, standing here watching them talk about the laptop or something, and they just jump in from left screen. But they find out in this scene, though, that Kate is Acid Burn, the hacker from the beginning when Day does his first hack in New York. And pretty quickly, her boyfriend whose name doesn't matter because he doesn't have a hacker name, leaves the room because he's not interested, and she starts creaming with them about her own laptop. Ultimately, Dade and Kate challenge each other to a hacking duel because they have this rivalry going. So they, they suit up to do that. They suit up to ruin a man's day, and they decide to hack Agent Bunk. Can I also mention that the rewards for this contest are so incredibly lopsided? They get more lopsided as it goes on. Yeah, Dade was like, if I win, you go on a date with me. And what was hers? You become my slave. (laughs) 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 The way they set up this duel is that the rest of the Techno Squad that's not involved will, like, rate their hacks, I guess, on a point system. And then whoever wins after I don't know how many hacks is deemed the winner. But they first get Agent Bunk arrested for a DUI. They cancel his credit card. And then when he calls about the credit card, they've already made him appear to be deceased by the bank. They attach his name to a sexy wanted ad for transvestites. Just some really fun stuff. Like, this is the type of hacking that I want to see. It was a fun little sequence, too. I mean, it was just uh, a nice little break to see Agent Bunk, I guess, Agent Gill, just get kind of, like demoralized a little bit yeah it was real fun they're enjoying their duel and they start to have dreams about each other (laughs) shortly thereafter mr the plague 
sends a threatening laptop in the mail to Dade. Which thanks, I guess. Like I just love the wording of that. Sends a threatening laptop. <laughs> it's what he does because he gets a package in the mail. He signs for it. He opens it up and turns it on. It looks like it's a nice laptop for the time. And Mister the Plague comes on and like just threatens him a little bit more. Like there, there was no ultimatum. It was just kind of like, hey, here's a laptop. I'm a hacker. I still need you to do a thing for me because I'm evil. Well, his message was like laced with subliminal messages. Maybe he was hoping he could just mind control him. <laughs> maybe. I mean, I think, you know, maybe he was also just hoping that he'd be stupid enough to use the laptop. Because, like, you're a hacker dealing with an evil hacker who just sent you the laptop. How stupid would you have to be to use that thing? <laughs> <laughs> Let me put the garbage file in here. <laughs> yeah. Just just coat the keys in arsenic. I guess his goal is not to kill Dade, but it's still evil. Indeed. Joey... He's been grounded for this whole time, like for all this stuff that's been going on. And he gets ungrounded because his mother is kind. And he immediately grabs the like secret file disc and runs out of his house to uh, leopard print freak. <laughs> oh shit, Joey, you got a tail. They, they get chased immediately because obviously the secret service is watching them. Freak gets raided because consorting with Joey. Well, he was seen like grabbing a disc from him yeah like joey went in like the town square and just like whipped it out yeah let's do this in public where there's a whole bunch of people around and so he rollerblades away because if you're in the city you have to be on rollerblades if you're a hacker and he rollerblades away he hides the disc and then he uses his one phone call to call kate and tell her where he hid the disc and that they're being framed for something where freak tells kate he hid the disc was one of my favorite lines in the movie. <laughs> Just because it was so... Like, it portrayed how well they know each other. <laughs> and he's rushed because he hasn't told her where it is yet. And a cop starts to come up to him. So he doesn't want to, like, give away what he's saying. So he says something to the effect of, like... It's in that place where I put that thing that time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which I initially took the entirely wrong way because he is telling them that he is in prison and has stashed a thing, the place that I put that thing one time. <laughs> Just saying. Your prison wallet. So I don't know if that was the intention, like that we were supposed to think that or something. I don't know. Your prison wallet is your butt, by the way. Oh. <laughs> so uh... was that was that a sarcastic O? Oh? You'll never know, Zach. <laughs> Shaggy and Kate go and ask Dade for help because he's a hacker too. And he's basically like, nah, I can't get involved. But because Kate's a woman and Dade is turned on by lips and things, he says he'll copy the disc for them. And then he takes the disc and immediately contacts Mr. The Plague, who, who at this point has the opportunity to leverage him by saying that he's going to like make his mother into a felon if he doesn't do what he says. So he he's talking about uh, the girl, in this case, Acid Burn. So I don't think that the plague knows that he has the disc just yet. And I think it's just generally threatening him as a way to get to uh, Kate. Ah, uh, okay. Lauren Murphy is now a wanted felon in the state of Washington. Forgery, embezzlement, two drug convictions, plus she jumped parole. When she's arrested, she will not have a trial. She will not pass go. She will go directly to jail. I'm going to just say for my own headcanon insanity, because this movie is, is fun enough that I want it to not have huge plot holes, that Mr. The Plague calls Dade. 
Yeah, I think that's fair. At this point, Dade has been had dead to rights by Mr. The Plague. Is he Dade to rights? He's Dade to rights, yeah. So he goes out to the nearest misty alleyway to meet up with Mr. The Plague, who grabs the disc from him by sketching on the back of a, of a Lincoln. I assume limousine. <laughs> I love this, this scene so much. <laughs> it just... For, for the villain to, to just, like, I'm going to meet you in this alleyway. <laughs> oh, don't worry, I'll get it. Instead of, like, holding a gun at him or anything, no. He drive, does a drive-by sketch grab of the disc. <laughs> and it's, well, it's clearly his limousine, too, because it's driving partway on the curb so that he can ride on the sidewalk <laughs> on his skateboard. So, like, why not just sit in the limousine, extend your hand to grab the disc, and drive away still in the limousine? Well, we know what the rule of hackers is. They have to be on wheels, rollerblades, or skateboards, I guess, in this case, if they're out in the city. So he's just abiding. Yeah, and the thing is, that is a bumpy-ass road covered in cobblestones, and I so wanted to watch him (laughs) face. (laughs) God, that would have been great. It was such a gloriously unnecessary scene. And after Dade hands it off, Mr. The Plague lets go, I guess, grabs it, and then kind of veers back towards the limousine to continue sketching. After Dade hands it off, he's just like, no, wait, and starts chasing him. (laughs) How are you going to catch evil skateboarding hackers if you don't have your own good rollerblades? Well, that's Dade's biggest weakness is he doesn't always carry them around with him. That's why he couldn't catch. You're exactly right. That's what it is. Yet another pothole. He should (laughs) have had his rollerblades. He really should have, man. Dade feels guilty, so he goes to meet up with his hacker buddies, and he's going to tell him what he did, but he gets distracted because they're looking at the file. They've opened up this garbage file and are looking at it, and we get the uh, like the group project after this where he decides that he's the only kid that's part of the group that can do the work, so he does his own montage of decrypting this giant file of numbers to figure out what this garbage file is. This is the garbage file. You can tell because of the flying math. And uh, the flying math has been upgraded now because now we have a strange fractal screensaver in the mix. (laughs) (laughs) This hacking montage is loud and amazing. Does anyone know how uh, inspirational this movie was to future film? Because I feel like this this like style is very out now but i feel like up to maybe late aughts to early 2010s this was used a lot like people's faces with math equations going across it as they're trying to figure stuff out yeah, was true. this like the first one that did it i have the feeling that hackers was a movie that hit really well in 1995 in 1995 i wouldn't have known the first thing about computers even if i was an adult i don't think so i mean maybe very inspirational all it takes is one or two movies to be like, oh, that's a good idea. Well, I mean, you can't tell me that, you know, the people making The Matrix never saw this movie and never thought, hey, I like when people look at flying code. Let's just make <laughs> it green and partway Japanese or wh- whatever the exact kanji symbols they're using in The Matrix code are. Right. So they figure out that this file is a worm, not a virus, which is a very important distinction because a worm just nibbles away at stuff. The worm eats a few cents from each transaction. Check it out. By this point, it's already running at what? Twice the speed is when it started. And at this rate, it ends its run in... Two days. Judging by this segment alone, man, it's already eaten about... 21.8 million bucks, man. Whoever wrote this needs somebody to take the fall. And that's Freak, and that's Joey, and that's us. 
they don't have the full picture, but they need to see the rest of this file because it's something bad. They're being framed. So they decide to go, all of them, as a hacking team, hack into the Gibson system, which requires a few things like breaking in a ring, jumping into a dumpster, and impersonating a Comcast employee, and delivering some flowers. Yeah, which are, again, some of the more accurate depictions of hacking. Just tricking <laughs> stupid people. Indeed. <laughs> Though, this movie assumes if you're more than 18, you do not know how a computer works. This is even a little bit true for Mr. The Plague. Would this have been a fun anime? I can't imagine it would be anything but a fun anime. I think it would be. I think That's it would have been yeah. fucking glorious. It has all of the like tenets of an anime going on, like the over the topness, the riding of, of skateboards and things, like the villain that's just like way over the top, the main characters that are extraordinarily driven, the like unrealistically attractive nerds, the Romulan. <laughs> Was Angelina Jolie actually a Romulan at one point? Maybe she she certainly does have the right like hairstyle and general vibe for one in this. She totally had Romulan hair. She really she- did. Honestly, like I saw her and I was like, God, she is a Romulan. She looks just like a Romulan. You're right. Yeah, can we also mention that she has brought a flare gun with her to steal out of this dumpster? <laughs> yes, we can mention that, Michael. It is worth mentioning because while they're digging around in the dumpster trying to find important uh, printouts, the security guard, which has its shack like 15 feet from the dumpster, calls out like, hey, what are y'all doing? And then she immediately shoots a flare gun at him. My subway defense system. Mrs. Uh, IG, but still, just like imagine being that security guard hired apparently to guard a dumpster. And then some crazy chick shoots a flare gun at you. And then he doesn't tell anyone. He's like, well, that showed me. <laughs> Consider myself fired. The plague is on to them, knows that they have figured out some of this stuff that's going down. And it's revealed to us that both he and the public relations lady, you know, they're they're sleeping together and they're planning to take the profits from this worm and duck out as soon as it's done, which is going to be like the next day at 10 a.m. or something and frame everything on the, the hacker crew. I also love one of the quotes that's around this time as well. It comes from none other than Mr. The Plague, but he's talking to the head of public relations and she says, I thought this worm was untraceable. And he says, the worm is untraceable to civilians, but they're hackers. Yeah. <laughs> Not the same thing. I don't think that word means what you think it means. The good news though, is that at the point that Mr. The Plague is calling Agent Bunk and they're like setting up the time that they're going to raid all of the, the hackers' houses at 9 a.m. sharp the next morning, the hackers have already like set placed their bugs and figured out all their shit. So they know this is going to happen. They know that they have to move fast. The worm does what it does. It's going to end tomorrow at 10 and they have to figure it out overnight. Um, Cause they're taking the subway to go enlist more help, I believe, or at least Kate and uh, Dade are. That's right. This is the payoff for watching the blade and slash TV bit earlier. Cause they go and try and enlist blade and slashes help. It's Razor and Blade Zack. They would be very offended if you messed up their hacker names, and they might shoot you with a gun connected to a robot arm. <laughs> now, before we get there, I I don't know if y'all looked at some of the extras costumes in this scene. Dude, the chandelier-hatted lady? Oh, my God. Yes. There is a woman <laughs> with a whole chandelier on her head, but she is, in fact, not the person I want to call attention to 
because there is a man with his mouth surrounded with yellow electrical tape. You can see him <laughs> right as Dade climbs on the stage. He's only visible for like that shot and once a little bit earlier in the party, but he appears to have decided to forego lipstick by way of putting yellow electrical tape around his mouth. It's the same basic vibe. And at first I thought he was wearing lipstick. No, oh my God. it's yellow electrical tape. Watch it again, I promise you. So one hour, 19 minutes and uh, 47 seconds is when you get the most clear shot of him. I love all these costumes so much. It's so great. Oh my God, I see him. I just noticed there's, there's also a girl with like a wicker witch hat. It's like a witch hat if you made it out of like a bunch of random wicker you had lying around. I see a man wearing a baseball cap that is made of aluminum foil as well. Such a good scene. The costume designer did these people right for what needed to happen. I would like to go to this party. Every time you see another thing in here, it's even better. But like, back to electrical tape guy. My question is, what happened here? <laughs> did, did like an actual costume designer have to walk out and tell a man, by the way, I think your character should wear electrical tape around their mouth. <laughs> Oh man, there's a Power Ranger just about on in the very first part of this. Dancing by the amp. It looks like the White Ranger slept with the Mandalorian. <laughs> 118.33. Look at this guy. I yeah, dude. Guy. Yeah. Reminds me of the robot from Plan 9 from Outer Space. Like some, some like old, shiny, like 60s sci-fi robot. I noticed one of the lyrics, because I always have captions on, are, Hunt a stunt like Red October. Ain't crossing over. Hunt for October is in there. Gotta give it a shout out. It is. We have to have our like zero degrees of separation for every movie, right? I think that was an, an old the dish idea for how to go from movie to movie. Just have one connection between each one, even if it's as, as obscure as a lyric in a party scene. So they're trying to find Razor and Blade in all of this commotion who, who were up on stage whenever they entered the party, but they quickly disappear. I guess they immediately look in the right place because they find their like hacker den that is set up with booby traps, including a gun attached to a robot arm. And they come on the like 17 TVs that are set up on the side of the room are like, What do you want? We come in peace? We need your help, if you're up to it. We need your help to overload the Gibson so we can kill the Da Vinci virus and download the worm program. She's rabid, but cute. But you are going to need more than just two media icons like us. Yeah, and this is when uh, Razor and Blade informed them that they would in fact need a hacker army to do this. I got such a weird vibe from Razor and Blade the whole time. It was something about the way that they were like talking to each other as if no one was there. And in this weird kind of like cadence, it almost gave them like a like a kind of algorithm vibe, like they weren't even human. They're just plugged in all the time, man. Felt like somebody workshopped the ever-loving crap out of that dialogue to get gay enough that we're very clear with what we were going with that, but with just enough wiggle room that we can get this into a 90s movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, because they, they come off as... Are they gay or are they Metro Brothers was kind of what I got. I did not have any questions about uh, <laughs> what was going on there. Well, they, they agree to help. They've decided they're going to take down this big corporate Gibson program at Grand Central Station. And they've got a plan. Russians don't take a dump, son, without a plan. 
they start by knocking out all the streetlights in the city so the cops are tied up. They do it like right at 8.59 when they know that their tails are about to come for them. So they're able to rollerblade away. Let's go show them what soul skating's all about. Because they're hackers in the city, and so they have rollerblades in their feet. Right, it, it causes all these cars to crash, and it just like gums up all the uh, all the traffic around Grand Central Station, so they have time to get there and do their thing without the police tracking them. But they all get their kind of like personal machines, laptops, to Central Station, all the hackers do. I guess the idea is they go into these little... Uh, payphone stations and then hook up their laptops to connect via the payphones rather than their own personal networks to be anonymous a public place where they can uh get away from the cops and have dial-up i guess dial-up man i hadn't thought about that in this movie if they were using dial-up this would have been a, would have been a much less exciting and intense like hacker battle because of the time it would take to upload all of their virus graphics <laughs> well i mean most of them are like Pretty crappy gifts, but yeah. <laughs> but still. One just said, sit on my interface. <laughs> <laughs> sit on my interface. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you gotta uh. wonder, like, do, do they have these pre-programmed gifts, or are they all also graphic designers? <laughs> all the hackers who have agreed to help are, like, given the command, give us your best viruses and just throw everything you've got at this big corporate system you know this is the boss fight for the movie the, the <laughs> hacker boss fight where they, their spells are their preloaded viruses so they just start overloading this or trying to overload this gibson system this big powerful system pin and mr the plague are at the console in the big laser tag corporate it department what I would say is that Mr. The Plague, according to these scenes, is a way less capable hacker than all of the other hackers because all he has is like a big arcade pad with a bunch of neon plexiglass and little buttons that he pushes like one at a time to knock out a virus in, in one fell swoop. The buttons which are unlabeled. Yeah, everything's just unlabeled. All he has to do is just push one of them and it destroys the virus he wants it to versus all of the hackers hacking away like crazy at their keyboards in the payphone booths. And every time he presses the button, he like slings some bad guy action quotable. As he presses, he's like, come and get me. <laughs> but what a fun ride they take us on. They come in here with two goals. One is like download this worm file as evidence so they can't delete it. The other is crash the Gibson so that like their dastardly plans are stopped. This is where Blade and Slash? No. Razor and Blade. Razor yeah, and we Blade. can't forget Razor and Blade. <laughs> this is where Razor and Blade's international connections come in. Okay, we get go. these call-ins from all across the world. It's like, th here comes this lady from Italy with gobs of hair that are just out in every direction. And there's like, you know, some guy in Germany or whatever, people from all over the world who are just like this army of hackers who destroy the colonel, as Hal says. They sure do. They couldn't have done it without him because it was looking bleak for a minute there before Razor and Blade show up with their army. So they're celebrating and they turn to leave, but the cops have gotten through and they're held at gunpoint and they're all arrested. Except for Shaggy, who managed to, I guess, leave earlier? Yeah, well, they uh, send him away and Joey takes his spot because 
you know, they need him to go back and then get the disc because Dade hides it in the uh, trash. But like this entire plan involves them not arresting the most suspicious of the hackers who, while they're being taken away, blows even his minor cover, which, (laughs) as far as I can tell, his only plan to cover for this was to put on a New York baseball cap. But he, he's like pumping his fists and shouting, hack the planet, before quite obviously going in there and ripping through the trash. While he's ripping through a trash, a cop walks up behind him, like in the background of the shot, and turns around and walks away, presumably having realized that his presence would make no sense and would cause him to immediately be captured. And they just didn't redo another take. It's so true. He, he's only wearing a hat. And sunglasses that, like, each lens is, like, the diameter of a dime. It's, like, these tiny little things that just cover up his eyeballs. <laughs> They're like the old Western glasses. <laughs> it's such a good call, Michael. He, he really does blow his cover when he, <laughs> when he joins in chant to hack the world when he's getting perp-walked away. Yeah. I have written right here maybe the most unbelievable part of this movie. Maybe he could, you know, loiter until he sees a janitor come to take the trash out. Like Michael says, he turns around and immediately just starts dumpster diving like a raccoon. And just there's like a pile of trash on the floor. He's like hands and knees shifting through it midday Grand Central Station (laughs) with like the cops still swarming. Mr. The Plague and uh, the public relations lady are celebrating their victory in Mr. The Plague's like underground mirror bed. Kate and... Dade are getting questioned by Agent Bunk, and it's not looking good. But then, perfect timing, Serial Killer comes on the TV through all of New York City and proceeds to explain the whole thing. I'm here to tell you about this heinous scheme hatched with Nellington Mineral. But for what, you ask? World domination? Nay. Something far more attacking. Oh, man, that was great. So while, yeah, while he's in prison, serial killer comes over the air, mentions everything that is needed to incriminate at least Mr. The Plague, as well as like the bank number. (laughs) And the password that was linked to a public relations lady, which I guess in that moment is enough for them to, for law enforcement just to release them. I mean, presumably it could have been some intervening time, though they could work quickly, like how the plague uh, disappears from that scene. Because as soon as that comes on the TV and they're like both in bed, he is, he is gone, which I have to imagine involves some very quiet skateboarding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All the way to a plane where he is also going to sit around with a clear laptop up until... Da-da-da-da... The man handing him a pillow is Agent Bunk, who's also handing him some handcuffs. <laughs> yeah, and if Serial Killer tried to come across as not appearing untrustworthy, I think he failed. <laughs> like, you got to imagine this message is going to, like, the general public, but he just looks like a totally unreliable stoner to deliver this information. He looks like a junkie, but I feel like every third person looked like a junkie in the 90s in New York, according to this movie, at least, so... Well, they're all hopped up on Jolt Cola, <laughs> which like once you're like looking at it, like I'm just seeing like scene after scene, like cans of Jolt Cola, cans of Jolt Cola. The, I hadn't really remembered but the product placement in this movie was uh, big stuff. Mitch, you mentioned the Coca-Cola earlier, and I noticed there's a couple of scenes where there's like a very prominent bottle of Coke, too, and all the Apple machines. Product placement was alive and well in the 90s. I think Angelina Jolie was wearing a Coke shirt at one point. 
Yeah, well, she's got the Suzuki jacket almost the entire film. Oh, man. I wonder how much of that is actually paid for. It's hard to tell. Like, like, it, like it's kind of a staple of cyberpunk. They probably workshopped who they got to pay them for it. So the movie ends with Dade and Angie on their date, and she's wearing a dress because the hacker boy has decided that he won because if he didn't win, he wasn't going to get a date. But yeah, we go out on uh, them having jumped into a pool fully clothed. Dade has set up, or someone at least, has set up a bunch of the, the buildings in the skyline, which was within their view, showing their hacker names together, which is Crash and Burn. And they're actually in a pool on the roof. Yeah, the camera pans out and shows that this is, in fact, a rooftop pool. Now, where oh, they nice. found a rooftop pool that they have access to, I have no clue. I don't know of, of many public rooftop pools. Yeah, that are open in the middle of the night with nobody else there. So they, they had to, like, broken into somebody's penthouse or something. <laughs> it's the high school next door that actually has a pool in the roof. <laughs> How nice. And they make out. I've been having really weird dreams. I guess we'll go round table. We'll start with our guest, Michael. After we recap, we usually go and ask each person, did you like the movie? So we'll start with you, Michael. Do we have to ask Michael? I think we know. <laughs> it's a well-known fact that uh, I absolutely love this film. I grew up on this movie, and uh, as a nerd growing up, this was definitely fun to see stuff that I knew, even at the time, was not really how any of this worked. But it was kind of fun seeing Hollywood play it up for laughs. It really was. Well, Zach, I guess I'll turn that one back on you. What Did you like the movie? Well, it is not as well known of a fact for me. In fact, this is my first time watching the movie. I think actually, Michael, you alerted me to the existence of the movie a couple months ago. I don't think I ever heard of it. But I am glad you did because I loved the movie. I thought it was really good. You know, I think we talked about <laughs> some of the, I guess we'll just gently call them weaknesses of the movie whether it's like visual like equations floating free in space on someone's computer as they're hacking (laughs) or some of the plot holes we mentioned like the movie is just so much fun i feel like if we want to show aliens in the future what we think the 90s looked like we show them this movie i think it's in everyone's head this is like the coolest parts of the 90s and there's so much to like here too it's so much fun I read online that a lot of hackers actually, like current hackers, really like this movie. And even like in current hacker circles, if you do something that's like really good, like if you pull off some feat or whatever would be contemporaneously hard to do, people would say, oh, you hacked the Gibson. It's just like a turn of phrase now inspired by this movie. (laughs) That's awesome. So I think it has a lot of like current pop culture ramifications. But yeah, I, I love the movie. I thought it was great. Mitch, what about you? Also a hacker's virgin, but I did actually hear of it about it at some point, so I was one step closer. For some reason, though, I think we talked about some other movie, and I, I did not realize it was an Angelina Jolie movie. I thought it was a Sandra Bullock movie for some reason. I think it's I was mixed up with The Net, and so whenever I found the movie, I was like, "That's Sandra Bullock's looking a lot different in this movie." It goes with probably without saying after I've talked about it this much, but I very much enjoyed Hackers. 
I would put it on my list of favorite 90s movies. It is, like you said, Zach, really steeped in the 90s. It has all of the styles and quirks and things that, that people have grown to love, like in the nostalgia of the 90s. And beyond that, it had some really kind of wholesome friendships going on between the characters. You know, made me smile just because like, oh man, look at these nerds just having a good time. That with the, you know, the quirky antagonist who skateboards around all over the place, deeming himself as a hacker in that way. It was a bundle of fun the whole way through, even though a lot of it didn't make much sense. Yeah, I really appreciate you uh, suggesting it as one we put on the list, Michael. Hey, I'm I'm glad to be here talking with you about it. It's very much one of my favorites. And like, every time you watch it, it just gets more ridiculous through the lens of time. Like, just looking back at that, it just gets crazier and it just gets more fun for it. Well, um... Michael, I guess if you feel like you want to take it up to start... True Hero or Food? Dish is last, so we'll start with True Hero. True Hero being the segment where uh, we discuss who is a fun, out-there character that stood out to you. The origin of it was from Patriot Games when a random motorist on the highway where the chase was taking place cuts off the uh, villain who's approaching Kathy Ryan's car with an Uzi. Did you have somebody fun in your mind that really added to this movie in in the way a true hero does, Michael? Well, I've got a true hero for one scene, if nothing else. Single scene true heroes are allowed. Yeah, the mannequin present in the first hacker bar scene for just being the weirdest thing you see in a movie full of weird things. Yeah, it's at like the 22 minute mark when they're first in the hacker bar and there is just this bizarre mannequin on the left hand side of the screen covered in neon and junk. The camera pans away from it, but can't keep its eye off that. No, seriously. (laughs) The rest of the scene is the camera slowly panning back over to view this insane-looking mannequin once more. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pulling that up right now. I I didn't catch the mannequin. I got a little uh, drunk the first time I was watching this for this, and my notes just include the words weird mannequin, and I have to go back and look up what I meant. Oh my gosh, I see it. Is that not the weirdest-looking mannequin? What is going on with that thing? It looks like something out of Judge's Bizarre Adventure. Yeah, and it's just like, as you watch the camera, like, the camera guy subtly knows this is the most interesting thing in the shot right now, and he's panning back to it. <laughs> it looks like a weird, like, modified sex doll. Yeah. You can see that. where the Or like an anatomy model in a classroom or something. Yeah, because, like, the light coming through it makes it look like it has, like, bones, like, in, like, a gel ballistic skeleton. On a more serious note, I think that the real hero of this film is probably Freak. Basically, every interaction between characters starts with Freak going, Hey, would you like to advance the plot of this film and save the day? (laughs) (laughs) Nice. He's like the uh, Facebook before Facebook existed, just with the same number of cat pictures. (laughs) Those cat pictures being his outfits. Yeah, in, in the scene with the mannequin, he's wearing, he's wearing like uh, 1800s wallpaper as a shirt. That's one of his more normal ones, yeah. The mannequin is still just like floating <laughs> in the everywhere. shop. <laughs> oh no, you can't take your eyes off it once you see it. Neither can the cameraman. <laughs> Great true hero. I think the best yeah, true heroes are the ones that are obscure, of which mine is not, I hate to say it, mine is very much not obscure. Let's hear yours, Zach. My true hero is my favorite character in the movie. 
I don't know if you guys can guess who it is at this point. Serial? Is Serial Killer. All right. He adds so much to this movie to me. If he wasn't in it, I would still like the movie, but it wouldn't hold as much rewatch potential as it does with him in it. The vibe he brings is so much fun, mischief, and just like the overall aloof hippiness, but still he can get down to business and just bust out some code. He's, in my opinion, the greatest character in the movie. And I think it's (laughs) mainly just because of how big he acts. He acts so big. And it's great. Like every scene is so bright with him in it. I don't disagree with your reasoning, but I actually found his character to be kind of annoying in the movie. I, now that you're saying it, for me, I think it's because he was acting so big next to the other people who were not acting big at all. By the end of the movie, I really liked his character. Like when he came on the TV at the very end, I was like, ah, oh, fuck yeah. But yeah, I just found him kind of annoying before that. And I feel oh, bad for saying it. <laughs> well, I think some of it is like it to me. He, it felt like that same sort of background flash that we're talking about, where there's all this crazy '90s crap in the background. The other characters interacted with it. Serial embodied the weird '90s <laughs> crap, and like the whole film builds like this occult mystique to the '90s, where by the end of it, I don't care if you were born in like the 2010s or something and go back and watch this film. You know, probably not now, you'd be 12 at the moment. But, you know, when you're a little <laughs> bit older, uh, go back and watch this film, because I feel like by the end of the film, you are on board with that 90s weirdness, which by extension yeah, is on yeah. board with Serial by that point. Right you are, Michael. That's, that's a very good point. Yeah, that's a great call. I kind of knew what I was signing up for. And I was ready for it. The moment I think we're introduced to his character is outside. It's actually just before the scene with the mannequin. Yeah, he's selling the mixtapes. I call this the greatest Zooks album, featuring artists like, well, I got some Hendrix on there, some Joplin, Mama Cass, Belushi, all great artists that have fixated on their own vomit. (laughs) Yeah. And he's like, it's great. (laughs) Different strokes for different folks, man. What about you, Mitch? Who's your true hero? I think the one I would select, it's a Razor and Blade. I, I know I'm I'm saying this as one character, but they really are one character. Don't you mean Blade and Slash? Yeah, Slash and Knife. They did save the day, but they also were just kind of the idols of the main characters and were a lot of fun, and they had that kind of 90s mystique that you were talking about, Michael. Their presence just really added to the, the feel of the film for me, and it was it was a lot of fun for that yeah well zach was talking earlier about uh hacker culture that uh we got from this film while i might not be a hacker i know oh that there's plenty of nerds out there that will absolutely respond to the rallying cry of hack the planet and they they gave us that for sure (laughs) the next segment is our uh where we get our namesake the dish is a dual meaning one for like the conversation that we have about the plot and what we thought about it and how fun it was and or wasn't that dishing that dish as a verb and then also obviously comparing it to food but the reason behind comparing it to food is that it's about the feeling you get when you watch it how it's similar to the feeling you get when you eat certain foods we essentially give ourselves a platform in which to weave metaphors about a movie plot compared to the flavors and emotions that foods bring forth Yeah, and it makes y'all think about it, too. Like, you actually have to sit there and think, hey, what does this movie mean to me, and how could I package that in a way that somebody else would understand? I guess since, Michael, you've been taking it first, do you want to lead us forward with your dish that you feel the movie Hackers embodies? Absolutely. This movie, in dish form, 
it's a can of Jolt and a bunch of Dippin' Dots ice cream. A bunch of stuff at the time we thought was the future <laughs> that definitely was not the future, but is just fun and nostalgic as all mess. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's that's great. Boy, that is like the most succinct and accurate dish comparison I think we've had yet. You've got a, ma- a knack for this, Michael. I've just seen this movie a bunch of times. And drank way too much Jolt Cola. Have you ever drank Jolt Cola and eaten Dippin' Dots while watching Hackers? I have not, but congratulations, a new thing has gone on my bucket list. <laughs> Need to find a Dippin' Dots guy who can supply me. <laughs> is Dippin' Dots still around? I have no clue, but like, it's I, nostalgic as it mess is. if it is. It really is. We should go to like a like it's like water parks and theme parks and stuff, as I feel like the only places we saw them even in the 90s. We had a Dippin' Dots at our mall. The mall closest to my house always had Dippin' Dots when I was a kid. I just got a great idea, which is a nostalgia-themed movie theater. You'd buy out an old shopping mall and make one. Yeah. <laughs> Those are becoming a point of nostalgia, too. It's nostalgia all the way down, Michael. All right, so how about you, man? What's, uh, what's your food? What's your dish? I have my dish simply written as something from the fair, but it's more than that. While I'm sure this movie would make a lot of people feel very nostalgic because I never saw it when I was younger. It didn't do that for me. It was just a really fun 90s time. It was quirky. And it didn't make much sense in a lot of places. And it was really fun. And I really enjoyed it. And for that reason, I would say that it's something like a Krispy Kreme burger from the fair. It's sweet in the way of killer dude, sweet, 90s kind of sweet, riding a skateboard, to grab the floppy disk as a, a main bad guy sort of sweet <laughs> like sick grab kind of sweet and also just something that doesn't really make any sense in the way that it doesn't really make much sense to put a cheeseburger between a couple of donuts but god is it good and god is it fun a, a delicious fair food that doesn't come along that often that that doesn't really give you the same feeling as anything else that's a great dish mitch thanks man do you really think so <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, when you first mentioned your inimitable dish, which is uh, something from the fair, <laughs> my first thought was, what? Well, what I have done is not taken any notes about my dish, and I had something from the fair written and then realized I had to elaborate because that wasn't enough. Well, I think that's one of the best parts of the dish is comparing it to something that isn't necessarily obvious, but then the reasoning for where things mesh in your head and to you personally resonates with other people. And it's fun to hear it actually like come into focus of why that makes sense and why it, it, do, it makes sense to me not to. Nice. Well, I'm, I'm glad I could uh, paint that picture for you. So the question is, we are two for three on uh, terribly unhealthy for you. Zach, are you about to put us over the edge in a cardiac arrest with your dish? <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> Maybe diabetes as well. Mine is kind of along the same lines as Michael's, but maybe not as poignant. Mine is Sunny D and Chef Boyardee (laughs) for a myriad of reasons. But I feel like when I was growing up in the 90s, you'd always see commercials for Sunny D with like somebody outside doing something active. Something rad. (laughs) Yeah, something rad, like hacking or rollerblading or both. (laughs) And... 
Chef Boyardee is like quintessentially 90s, but it's like one of those pantry depression struggle meals that I feel like goes hand in hand with like you're just coding or whatever, you keyboard smoke and you don't have time to cook. So it's like, let's just heat up Chef Boyardee. And it's kind of something that like resonates with me now, like being in grad school, I feel like I have no time and like cooking is kind of a chore at times. It's like, well, I'll just like heat up this soup in the pantry and hey, I don't even add water. I'll just add my tears and we're good to go. Wow, that got dark. <laughs> Uh, but (laughs) real tearjerker of a movie uh hackers (laughs) but yeah like the sunny d and beef ravioli combo it's just like it feels like it's kind of rad but also quintessentially 90s but you can also knock that meal out at your desk while you're banging out some project is that what the kids are calling it (laughs) (laughs) that's what dade and kate are calling it (laughs) see I am in a household where we like have Chef Boyardee on the shelf right now, I'm pretty sure. Really? Wow. I just have never connected Chef Boyardee in the 90s, but I guess that's really when it became more of a, a household food item. Do you remember the commercial? It was like a, a mom and kid shopping and the kid wanted Chef Boyardee, but like he forgot it on the shelf and they leave the grocery store and the Chef Boyardee can like rolls from the grocery store into like the house. That was like so 90s to me. I do remember that. I remember that too, but I thought it was a Campbell's commercial. Oh shit. I don't even remember. (laughs) We've been too inundated with marketing. We don't remember what you were trying to sell us. (laughs) Their plan has backfired. Anyway. Very good. So my dish is ultra 90s nostalgia. That's that's the main connection. Nice. Does anybody have any fun (laughs) stuff in their notes that we haven't had a chance to get to? Like anything that we glossed over in the film that uh, they wanted to mention? Um, Question. Whenever... uh, we're first introduced to Mr. The Plague and the public relations lady. I have written down that uh, public relations lady hates Mr. The Plague and hates acting. <laughs> the scene when they're like going down the escalator, she just, I'm sorry, insert actress name here. Lorraine Bracco. Not a great time. <laughs> what what did it for you? What like Nothing stands out, nothing in my memory from that scene. It was just her delivery. It just, it seems scripted and like, you know how in, like Star Trek, for example, how there's like the techno babble, and every once in a while you can catch where the actor is like remembering what the techno babble is so that they can deliver it and say it like they know what they're talking about. 14 kilowatt interface modules. The core element is based on an FTL nanoprocessor. With- I got that vibe from her, but with like overacting a little bit. Well, that's not even like the point in the movie where she gets to go absolutely most off the handle with it. It's the uh, f- during the final fight when uh, Mr. The Plague and oh, uh, yeah. Penn are there. And like her, you can watch her grasp of English break down throughout that scene. The <laughs> so first is like, we've got a worm chasing a rabbit. You know, it's like, all right, I, I get that. And it's like, it's the computer equivalent of cancer. And she's like, what? Cancer? What's this? And it's like, okay, you know what the word cancer means. We all, none of us believe you don't know what that word means in this context. But like, as they keep throwing more and more hacker words at her, her grasp of the English language steadily has to degrade. Or else some of this has to make sense. These are good Jordy LaForge analogies here. It's such a great call. But at the same time, they were speaking in a lingo that I don't know that even hackers would necessarily understand. I remember once they got the rabbit or whatever, they're like, oh, there's a rabbit. Mr. The Plague said, get the flu shot. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. If I was sitting there, I'd be like, what's going on? It kind of It's kind of like whenever uh, you have people who 
friends who are really into a TV show or a video game and it has so much lore and like mechanics behind it that when they talk about it, it's just like them speaking a different language. Very true. Just watch the whole film in Klingon and that scene suddenly makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Do we do the um, movie role at the end or do we do that right now? Uh, Movie roll is next. We've dished about our dishes. It is time to figure out what we're watching next time. Zach, do you have the movie list? Of course I have the movie list. We have 27 left. My favorite number. While we were watching this film, another film came to mind as another arbiter of 90s cool. And I looked it up. This film that I'm thinking of came out the exact same year as Hackers. Mall Rats by Kevin Smith. Is that technically action, or is that only comedy? Um, Silent Bob has a grappling hook for a little bit of it, so I'm going to go with... (laughs) This is definitely an action blockbuster on par with Die Hard. (laughs) (laughs) Just what would happen if John McClane was fat and had no lines. I have a 27-sided die Wow, nice. What a find. Yeah, I just found it in my desk. Euclidean geometry be damned. (laughs) I'm ready if you are. I'm, I'm blowing your dice, Mitch. <sighs> Mako, would you like to blow my dice as well? My singular die? Why not? I've got this robot dick in my face. <laughs> <laughs> I've rolled. It's a nine. A nine. Mitch, you will love what we have landed on. Would you care to guess what movie we've landed on? You said the word love, so that basically leaves like two, two possible movies in my mind. I think you'll be happy. Is it The Fifth Element? Are you sure that there aren't five possible movies it could be? (laughs) Because it's The Fifth Element. Oh my God. Nice roll, my man. I'm just smiling. I'm so excited for The Fifth Element. I'm going to enjoy listening to y'all take apart The Fifth Element. Oh my God. Let it be known that The Fifth Element is my maybe favorite movie of all time. So high praise from me on that one it is if nothing else the best film of all time where the hero and the villain are never directly in the same room yes mitch is so traumatized by me saying i've never seen the fifth element that he always forgets that oh I've my seen god the element. i have forgot you, again he's back <laughs> wait have you you haven't seen the fifth element still i have not seen the fifth element no. oh my god yeah you guys need to watch that together that's gonna be fun Zach, can we watch it together even if we don't take notes on it that time sure i just would love to experience that with you and sure uh, the other thing that i wanted reason i want to do that is to avoid the inevitable like when i excitedly ask you how is the fifth element you said it was good what like in a sarcastic way because i'm sure you'll love the movie but like i can imagine oh like what i did to sarah yeah, me right within with anticipation, wanting to hear about how much you love the movie, and then you just like, yeah, it's fine, it's good. <laughs> In which case, I will, you know, melt into a puddle onto the floor, or burst I, into flames, or get struck by lightning. Choose your element. I still feel bad about doing that to Sarah. She took <laughs> such umbrage with me jokingly saying I didn't like the movie, and I thought that when we moved on, it was it was clear that that was a joke. Yeah, no, no one can hate anything with that much Brendan Fraser in it. It's like not allowed. <laughs> that man is a national treasure. He is. Speaking of national treasures. Speaking of national <laughs> treasures, yeah. Every person who's listened to this podcast is a national treasure, if you've liked it. If you haven't liked it, you're the scum of America. <laughs> or whatever other country you disliked it in. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, I also want to give a shout out to our listener in Albania. Oh, yes. Yes. We we have a listener <laughs> in Albania who um, around the time we of like our third episode release had listened to all the episodes and we were just like, oh, man, someone over there loves us. Keep on listening, man, if you are. We need all the help we can get. We are huge in Albania. If you're if you're listening to our voices right now, drop us a line. Not only if you're in <laughs> Albania, you can do that wherever you are. Our email address is dishing through decades. That's dishing through decades, full words at gmail.com, all lowercase. But just like our Albanian friend, we want to hear from from all of you. Anyone that listens, this podcast needs to feed on feedback really hear what we're doing right or doing wrong. The best thing that you can do to help keep this podcast going is tell your friends, just spread the word. And if you feel really motivated, go ahead and leave us a review on whatever podcast you use, whatever podcast you use on whatever podcast platform you use. Yeah. Boom. That was, that was professional level retake. You can cut that shit right in, man. I will. That was great. Or you leave it out and then leave me saying that's professional and then this part explaining that part and then this part explaining that part. Yeah, I'll just leave it all in. Let's just not edit this episode. It's <laughs> all it's, it's comedy gold as is. <laughs> <laughs> I think right now we're still way shorter than uh, Clear and Present Danger. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. Clear and Present Danger was like four hours. Let me just leave this. Just throw it on out there. <laughs> We appreciate anybody who listens for even an hour of our podcast. Thank you so much. If you want to hear full, unedited cuts of our stuff, check out our Patreon that we don't have. Drop us a line. All the stuff Zach said. You mean I shouldn't have said my full, unedited credit card number partway through this? I thought you said you were going to cut that. (laughs) I'll make sure to cut it out just like Zach cut out my address. Oh, Zach, uh, we have a correction to make as well. Um, Our fan, Alex, who I saw today, was very put out that you said that Eddie Gorda was from Mortal Kombat. I stand by that statement. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently he's from Tekken, my friend. I know, I know, I know. (laughs) I realized Uh, right when I said it, or maybe like a second after I said it, I was like, "Uh, I don't know if he's actually from Mortal Kombat. Well, I didn't know either, so I'm going to have to go back and just put in one of our little um, overdub corrections. Oh, that's like... To call out our wrongness. Okay. Yeah, I agree with that course of action. Anyway, this has been The Dish. I really enjoyed dishing with you, Michael. Thank you so much for coming on. I think I'd like to thank you for coming on and adding some extra energy and humor and insight to uh, to this movie. (laughs) Snuck in at the end. Can't cut that. That was mid-sentence. But uh, thank you both so much for having me. You know, I was super excited when I heard y'all were doing this. And Hackers was one of my favorite 90s films of all time. So thank you so much for having me on this. Weird mannequins and all. I had a great time. (laughs) I'm so glad we had you. Like Mitch said, you had a lot of fun color to it. You knocked uh, it out of the park. Yeah. Yeah. Great job. Consider yourself invited back. That's the highest praise I think that a uh, random guest on a podcast can be given is we would suffer you again unless we find somebody better. Double dish. No. I don't get it. Should I get it? I got no idea where Zach's going with this one. You would just immediately begin in reviewing another movie. What movie do we all know well enough? <laughs> oh man that's a, that's a question i would dive into 
Yeah, so if the FBI busts into your dream sequence right now and puts guns to your head, all of our heads, in our weird FBI dream setup for this question that I'm doing now <laughs> for some reason, uh, what movie could we all review right now and do a halfway decent job of? I know mm. for me, and it might be the same for y'all, Jurassic Park. That's a good one, yeah. We could we could do Jurassic Park off the top of our heads, I bet. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to do another one. Galaxy Quest. Oh, yeah. Zach, have you seen Galaxy Quest? Once about eight years ago. Ah, oh, shit. Okay, well, that needs to change, first of all. Yeah. I do remember being great and Snape being in it and Tim Allen. Yes. And Siggy Weaves. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember Sigourney Weaver in it. Yeah, she was the uh, the woman who recited the computer. What? Who recited the computer? The computer says something, then she just repeats it back to the captain. You know, I have <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> actually heard that uh, like one of the reasons she took this role was specifically to, you know, go outside of like her normal uh, typecast role and just do something fun and goofy. I've got another candidate. Michael, I know you and I are on the same page. Mitch, I'm not so sure, but The Big Lebowski. I've seen it once at a uh, Movies on the Lawn at the Art Museum. I feel like the hardest thing about going into a Big Lebowski uh, dish without really having watched it recently is the fact that that movie jumps around a bunch. You know, it's like, are we getting swirly now? Drinking a White Russian or bowling? <laughs> <laughs> and, like, the, the actual plot of that movie is all over the place. And then just conveniently the characters are too lazy to do much other than do one thing and go to talk about it in a bowling alley. Right. I feel like that would be half the fun of dishing about it is just like, so who actually does something next? Who actually like instigates the next action here? And just, like, I don't know. The Big Lebowski for me is also like a lot about the vibe that like each scene presents and like kind of the pathos of each character a little bit more than maybe like the story for me. The dude abides. The dude, the dude abides, abides hard as fuck. I do think, actually, with all the ones we've named so far, the most fun would be to do a sight-unseen review of The Big Lebowski. Do, like, <laughs> a thing. You dish about The Big Lebowski one week with nobody having rewatched it on purpose to try to see how much of the film three idiots can put together. And then you actually watch it after that and see how close you were to correctly naming the plot of that film. That does sound like a fun game. Well, it's been a blast, you guys. We should probably go in and wrap it up. But it has... Thanks for uh, having me. What's a good outro? I know the outro for this one. Hack the planet! Yeah. <laughs>